The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. We are talking commuting all week on News Talk um, because it is commuter week here on the station. Hashtag my commute NT. And I'm joined by Daniel Murray, political correspondent with the Business Post and host of the Five Degrees of Change podcast, and Lauren Boland, reporter from the uh, journal.ie, who has a particular focus and expertise in the area of climate change. Daniel, if we're encouraging people to shift, not that we the station are, but if as a policy matter the government and country is, to shift the type of commuting that they do, what's the ideal? from an environmental perspective. Yeah, well, this is really important because the majority of trips into big cities are for work. So this work commute really shifting that to more sustainable uh, type of transport is extremely important. In terms of the type of transport that, that's more sustainable, well, maybe let's start with the most polluting. It's the single passenger vehicle. And unfortunately, this represents the most number of trips, journeys taken every day Still, in Ireland. Still, does it? Still more does. than bus and train and tram? More than bus, train, train and tram. The vast majority of trips and the vast majority of those trips being under 50 15 minutes. But specifically on the commute, a lot of people still driving into cities to get to work. Um, uh, now, when it comes to kind of single passenger vehicles, uh, fossil fuel cars are the worst. If you have an electric car, it is better from a carbon emissions point of view. But there are still issues in sustainability in terms of kind of congestion, in terms of uh, uh, traffic management. So, so it is and a problem. sunk environmental damage in manufacturing because it takes a long time for an EV to earn its way back into being clean. There is. There's embedded carbon in the production of an electric vehicle. There's also issues in terms of the sustainability of mining for, for cobalt and lithium into the future. So the idea is to try and shift away from single passenger vehicle uh, journeys. So the next most uh, or the next least polluting uh, is to take public transport. So trains, buses, Lewises, if you happen to have access to them. And more and more of these public transports, they're being electrified or we're even seeing the advent of hydrogen fuel in, in some buses. Um, but either way, even if they're fossil fuels, when there's more people on these buses, it means it's a more sustainable way of travel because you're splitting that carbon over over uh, more people. And then finally, uh, the most sustainable form of travel really is walking, cycling, scooting, skateboarding, rollerblading, whatever you want to do yourself, uh, Anton. And, and if you are within reach of, of your workplace and you can get to it uh, by kind of active travel, that really is the most sustainable way to do it. And presumably combinations in some instances both because that last mile thing is always the challenge. The how do you get to the train or the bus and how do you get from the train or the bus to your office or workplace? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why you see more and more people using the likes of fold up bicycles that you can take onto trains or buses or these e-scooters that people use around town. So it is thinking about how to join up either end of that travel. It's not only the actual journey on public transport, but how to get door to door either end as well. How do we compare Lauren across Europe with our other European peers in terms of environmental commutes? If you're looking at the different ways that we use public transport and suppose the different ways of how we try to get people onto those types of transport that Daniel talked about that are those those least polluting, those least impacts on the environment. There's there's some ways that we're we're not doing too bad, but there's definitely a lot of ways we could improve, um, and a lot of it comes down to I think our infrastructure. So if, you know there's some great initiatives that you could bring in, but without the the kind of solid quality public transport network it's hard to actually get people onto these buses these trains if it's not a high quality service so say for example if you think about Germany they brought in an initiative this summer where you could get a nine euro uh, train ticket for kind of quite long distance trains if we brought something like that in in Ireland even if you, 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 you really encourage people through that to get on the trains Firstly, the trains don't go everywhere. They don't go many places very often. And also, if you suddenly had a big surge of people onto the trains, there'd be nowhere to put them. We just don't have enough of them. Um, and they're still not necessarily bringing people 
where they need to go at the time they need to be there. Um, I mean, similarly, if you think about the underground, which obviously we don't have here at all, and which is a big discussion right now with the Metro North, you know, many places in Europe and elsewhere in the world have, have really well established underground networks. We don't have that at all. When we do, if we do with the Metro North, it'll be this this one line system. The beauty of an underground in other cities is that you can, you know, chop and change between the different lines, jump in and out. That's the convenience Although of Although do it. other European cities not manage to make more out of what they have than we do? I think for Copenhagen and Amsterdam in terms of cycling as a case in mm. point, there isn't, is there a particular reason why we couldn't vastly increase the amount of people using bicycles in Cork, Galway, Dublin, Limerick? Um, Amsterdam is such an interesting example because we know it now as this kind of, you know, this 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 beacon of an example of cycling. But it wasn't always like that. It, it was, it, I think back in the 70s, it was still a very car-centric city and it was through deliberate policy choices that it became what it is now. It, you know, it didn't happen by accident that everyone in Amsterdam jumped on their bike. It was through kind of a deliberate deliberate policy plan. Um, so certainly that is something we could be looking at here. But I think there is still a lot of sentiment in, in some areas of Ireland that um, that that is kind of opposing those. You know, we've seen it when an area is trying to bring in a cycle lane or cycle path or, or even to protect Streetnize the street, there is always a big hullabaloo around it before we can kind of get anything well, presumably done. Presumably as well, Daniel, there is also a sense of, well, I don't want to cycle because it's usually windy, raining sideways and cold. Yeah, well, the weather in Ireland is definitely a big factor on that active travel. But, you know, people who do it regularly will tell you that it's not as much of a problem. You get the proper gear if you can get into an office. I think a big thing is actually having shower facilities in offices can really help encourage people uh, to, to use active travel. But also on the public transport side of things, I think because commuting to work in big cities is such a big part of the journeys that we take. I think employers do have a big role to play in this and um, uh, Lauren was talking there about the nine euro affair that's been developed in Germany for all public transport. Employers maybe should be looking here in Ireland at covering uh, people's public transport fares as part of packages uh, reducing car parking spaces that they have available on site and trying to as part of a benefits package for workers encourage them into those more sustainable forms of transport. Does the public sector and government have a role to play in that kind of encouragement because there are still a number of significant government departments and semi-state and state-sponsored agencies that have large car parks and city centres around the country. They certainly do um, and I think the public sector always has a role to play in terms of kind of leading from the front on these things so it's not a policy that has been put in place yet but it's one really that they should be looking at um, both for the public sector maybe first and then maybe encouraging the private sector to look, look at it too. Lauren you mentioned the policy shift in Amsterdam. The, the thing that Daniel is talking about did they have to do much in the way of changing the structure of offices and workplaces? Do they have to bring in the shower facilities and all that kind of thing or was it just cycle lanes and have at it lads? I think I think the big difference is say what Daniel's talking about in terms of it's around work I suppose where people are where that where the, the the most of our the majority of our kind of big you know daily transport trips I suppose come from so those kind of measures where you can make that type of trip specifically easier for people that is that is going to have a big impact. Now, I think... But essentially, when you yeah. look culturally, if you go to Amsterdam, the big difference that I see when you look at people commuting, people who commute on bicycles here largely look like they are taking part in the Giro d'Italia. People mm. who commute in Amsterdam just look like people who happen to have a bicycle. It seems to be much more in the warp and it's weft of normal life. much more integrated into the daily culture. And I think part of that is probably they have, you know, even places to, to park their bikes. We don't kind of have that culture here of having kind of safe places to secure your bike when you get to where you want to go. I know personally, that would be something that would inhibit me from taking the bike of thinking well when I get to where I'm going where am I actually going to put the bike and is it going to still be there when I'm trying to get home Do you think there is going to be a significant shift by virtue of what <coughs> excuse me what we're seeing at the moment in terms of 
both diesel and petrol prices and gas and energy prices? I think it creates an economic incentive for people to start look at alternative uh, modes of travel and that's why if the government is to look at a policy that can help encourage this, really reducing public transport fares would be a way to go. Uh, But nonetheless, I mean, just the cost of putting petrol or diesel into into your car at the moment, people are already driving slower on motorways just to try and get more out out of their engine. So I think it could, over time, we, we see people move more towards these more sustainable forms of transport for economic as well as for environmental reasons. Interesting reaction. It's taken me up to an hour to make it into Dublin city centre these days for my commute. Another bus connects is a disaster in older parts of Dublin where buses to the city have been removed, leaving many thousands of older people housebound. And one that I suspect may be common, people who cycle in summer, spring and autumn saying... Uh, one texter saying I'd love to take my bike to work I'm too nervous to cycle on city roads particularly with the darker mornings and darker evenings so I end up taking my car 53106 at a cost of 30 cent if you uh, have any thoughts Daniel Murray thank you very much that is Daniel Murray who is political correspondent with the Business Post and host of the 5 Degrees of Change podcast and thank you very much as well to Lauren Boland reporter from the journal.ie The Anton Savage Show Saturday morning at 9 on News Talk.